Welcome to the perfect place for imperfect people. This is the Local Church Podcast, and we hope this message both challenges and encourages you. Here's today's message. And I'm really enjoying this this series. Uh, We're looking at paradoxes that are in Scripture. Now, uh, and and I love this about about the Bible. I love it about Scripture. I especially love it about Jesus. He taught in several different methods. If you've read through uh, the Gospels, you'll know that Jesus taught several different ways. There was didactic teaching where he would just stand and almost kind of lecture. Uh, There was that kind of of teaching. There was, sometimes he would use even uh, sort of poetry uh, almost like Hebrew poetry. Um, so parallelism. Uh, we, we know that there were parables, uh, stories. But he also used paradox. He did these things uh, because he knows we're a, a diverse audience and, and some of us will pick up on things uh, in story or narrative. Some It'll be a parable that you'll pick up something. But paradoxes, man, he taught in paradox. Um, and, and, and so we're talking about some of those. A paradox, remember, is a saying that at first it sounds untrue. It sounds almost contrary. Uh, It sounds almost like it's a competing clause within the statement. But then you let it settle in for about three or four seconds and you go, oh, that's true. That's really true. And it it, it sort of sinks in deep. I remember the first paradox that I ever heard. The very first one that I ever heard. I was probably five or six. I was a little guy. We were at my aunt and uncle's house out in eastern Oklahoma. And Uncle Russell loved to tell jokes. He he loved to tell riddles and different things like that. A great guy. Been in heaven for a long time now. But right as we're getting ready to leave, I mean, we're almost out the door. I, I remember this. We're almost out the door. And he looks right at me and he says, hey, don't forget, wherever you go, there you are. And And I thought... I, I'm six. I don't know how to take that. That's deep. Wherever you go, there you are. Am I supposed to remember that? Is that something I'm going to need to turn seven? You know, it's, I, I couldn't figure it out. But it stuck with me. I think through the car, probably my two older sisters explained it uh, to me on the, way, on the way home. But, but it's something that for 55 years, I remember that. Wherever you go, there you are. And it, it sounds uh, sort of competing, but, but, but then you let it sink in and it's true. Here's a couple that adult Johnny has found to be true as I've lived life. And see how many of these, uh, these two, I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna give you two. I got a list here, but I'm just gonna give you two from my life that I know to be true. The more I know, the more I realize I don't know. The more I know, the more I realize I don't know. That could be academic. That could, it could be the school of hard knocks. Uh, it could be you're an experiential learner. Uh, but, but by the time you get a few decades on you, you realize the more I know, the more I realize I don't know. There's so much out there more to know. How about this one? The pursuit of happiness makes me unhappy. Anybody else? You've gone through that. You've pursued happiness. I've, I've done that in my life. And I tell you what, that's been over for me for a while. I'm finished pursuing happiness. I found this, joy is better. Uh, Joy is something the Lord gives us. The joy of the Lord is my strength. That just comes with the package when you receive him. So I I kind of rest there, but but that's something, especially earlier on in life, that pursuit of happiness just made me nothing but unhappy. So here's, here's where we're going today. We're gonna put this on the screen for you. To be great in God's kingdom, 
To be great, you must be a servant. <laughs> to, to, to be great in God's kingdom, you must become a lowly servant. Now that, that sounds untrue, that, that sounds competing, and yet it is true. Let it sink in for just a moment. That's a, that's a parable of Jesus. We're going to unpack that today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 20. Now before we put those verses up on the screen, uh, if you've got a Bible, open it. If you've got your phone, that's how you follow along. You can do that. Uh, we're going to spot you on the screen as well. The church app, by the way, is, is wonderful. Uh, if you haven't refreshed it, just hit that refresh button. If you haven't been there in a week or two or three, it'll bring up the notes. It'll, you can follow along. You can fill in the blanks. Matthew chapter 20. Before we put it up, I want to give you about 60 seconds of history, uh, which will give you a context of where we are this morning. So this is in about the last... It's at least the last month, probably the last two to three weeks of Jesus' life by the time we get to Matthew chapter 20. Remember, he's, uh, he, really Jesus' life, you can split it up into, into three different kind of sections. The first one would be the period of popularity. When he first begins to teach and, he, and, and he's healing and man, massive crowds are following him. It's a period of popularity, about six months to a year. After that, he goes through a period of testing where the religious leaders find they don't like him very much because all the crowds are over there. And they, 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 they sort of send people to test him and they test him in the public square. It's a period of testing. And now though, he's in the period of persecution. They have crossed the line. He, he is on the bad side now of the religious leaders. They are actively trying to kill him. So as we pick it up today, this morning, He's going to be not in Galilee or Jerusalem. He, he, he's actually on the east side of the Jordan, and he's in the area called Perea, which is the, 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 the capitalist is there. There's 10 Greek cities, so he's safer there, but he's making his way down to Jerusalem. He has his 12 disciples. He has some of their family members, and there's some other crowd that's following him as well. So the, this whole crowd of folks are working their way to the south toward Jerusalem for the Passover which we know will be Jesus last. He's crucified at, at, that, at that time. So that's where we're picking it up today. Let's look at it together. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 is where we're going to begin. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons. Now that's a, a very familial way of saying James and John. This is James and John and the mom came uh, with her sons kneeling down. She knelt down and she asked something from him. And, and Jesus said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. In other words, can my sons have a position in your kingdom? They were convinced this kingdom was, was, was going to happen. They were still unsure about if it was going to be on earth. It was probably 80, 20, 90, 10. Yeah, he's going to set this up. He's going to overthrow Rome and somehow set up this kingdom of, of Israel and the Jews like it was foretold in the Old Testament. Uh, so she wants her boys, and moms, you know what this is like. You want your boys to do well. And she's willing to ask the Savior himself if, if her sons can have a position, a high position, and they sit on your right and on your left. Verse 22. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they, the boys, James and John, said to him, we are able. 
Now hold that thought right there. Yes, we're able. We can drink that cup. We can be baptized with the baptism that you're going to be baptized with. They didn't understand because I read that and I go, really? This, is, this cup, this same cup that Jesus is going to pray in the garden? Please, Father, let this cup pass from me. But nonetheless, your will be done, not mine. That cup, you, James and John, you're going you're gonna to drink of it. And that baptism, that, that, that tomb, that, that three days in the tomb, because that's what baptism represents, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You, you're going to, that, that baptism, you're able, you're, you're able to drink of that cup and you're, and you're able to, to be baptized in that baptism? Uh, yes, we're able. We're able. They didn't really understand and so, but, but look, look as we read on, Jesus gives them some grace. He said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. In other words, James and John, James would be the first martyr. We remember that from the book of Acts. James, the very first Christian martyr that we know of and it's mentioned in scripture. So, so yeah, you're gonna, I don't know if you're gonna drink the cup, but you're gonna sip on, on, this, on this cup and it's not gonna be good. And, and, and John, who's going to be exiled to Patmos, which at that time wasn't a tourist de destination in the Greek Isles, he was going to be sent there, going to be separated from his family, from his friends, from the church, from everybody he knows. Yeah, okay, you're going to drink of this cup somewhat. You're going to be baptized with the, how I'm going to be baptized somewhat. But then he says, uh, following on, uh, my, but to sit on my right hand and my left hand, my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for those who, for whom it is prepared by my Father. In other words, Father God will make that decision. I can't make that decision. Father God will be the one that decides that. Verse 24, and when the 10 heard it, these other guys, these other, these other disciples got wind of it. They were greatly displeased with the two brothers. You guys are trying to get ahead. You're trying to get position. But Jesus called them to himself. He calls this team meeting, has a meeting at the mound, and he says, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be among you. Jesus goes on to say, but whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. They're, they're, going, they're walking down through all these Greek cities. Look, all these Gentiles, you know they lord it over them, those in authority. And we know the Romans do, but it's not going to be so with you guys. If you desire to become great, whoever desires that, let him be your servant. We're going to come back to that word. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. We're going to come back to that word. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We're going to stop there. So this word servant, whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. That word is diakonos in, in the Greek. It's where we get the word deacon from, diakonos. It means, uh, it really means servant. It means this, it's got, the, it's got the root of the word dust in it, which at first doesn't make sense. Wait, the, the dust and, and diakonos share the same root. But, but the thought was this, and scholars think, think this, and it's backed up by, by the rabbi's teachings that, that whoever wants to be great, being a servant means that you're not afraid to go through the street, the dusty streets of Jerusalem or the dusty streets of wherever you are. All the streets were dusty in, in those days. You're not afraid to get dirty. You're not afraid to go to the streets. You're not afraid to get dust on you. The rabbis had a saying that 
that their, their, their students should wear their dust. In other words, a good student would wear the dust of the rabbi because he was following so closely behind him as it stirred the dust up that it would get on him. It's the same thought here in diakonos. You being a servant means that you're not afraid to get dusty, to get dirty, to do the, the, the tough jobs, to serve the tables, to whatever it looks like. You're not afraid to do those things. And then whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Slave. That's doulos. And that, that literally means a bond servant. Bonded. We're bonded to Jesus for life. We're his bond servant. He bought us back. He said his life was given a ransom for many. That means he ransomed us. He bought us back. Where did he buy us from? Out of the world, out of sin, out of death, the hell, uh, out, of, out of the grave. He, he bought us back out of that reality and he gives us a new reality in him. And so I'm bonded to him for life. I'm his servant. I'm his slave. Now he says, my burden, my yoke is light and my burden is easy. So it's not that kind of slavery. It's the slavery that I get to serve him as a slave, as a bondservant for life. He loans me out to serve you. He loans his bondservant out to be his hands and his feet to diakonos on this level, to serve in the dust on this level. So that's what he's talking about uh, here, in, in what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 20 through 28, diakonos and doulos, a bondservant, and, and, a, and a deacon or a servant, sometimes uh, uh, translated as minister. And so here's our first big thought. With all of that in mind, you learn new words today. Look at that. With all of that in mind, here's our first big thought. Greatness in God's kingdom is not found in the pride of position. It's found in the humility of serving. To be great in God's kingdom, it's not in that pride of position. I want my sons to have a big position in your kingdom. Well, it's not found there. It's found in the humility of serving. Now, our economy is not the same as God's economy. Can we thank God for that? No $6 gasoline, uh, a gallon gasoline in, in God's economy. That's not even what that means. That just simply means when somebody says our economy is not the same as God's economy, it means the things, things don't work in God's world, in his kingdom, the way they work in this world, in this kingdom. In, in this world, greatness typically looks like achievement. It, it, it looks like that, that you've obtained something or you've accomplished something. The way I think about it is I think about starting off in a, in a trainee position. You just get hired into the company and then you go through a period of, of training, six months or so, and then you, and, and then you try to, to make your numbers and you try to do good and you try to, you, you, you try to meet all the quotas and you do well for the company and then Maybe if that's the case, you, you get to be an assistant manager or, or, or maybe even get into a supervisory position and then, and then work into management. And then maybe you finish a, a degree or you finish a, a, a master's degree or, or an MBA or something. Then you, then you become a branch manager. You're, you're obtaining, you're achieving, you're moving up. And then at, at some point, uh, maybe you go through and get some certifications or you go through corporate training and, and now you're a, a, some, some sort of a CFO type thing opens up. Or, or at some point, 20 years later, you're able to be the CEO of the company. That kind of thing, achieving, obtaining, advancing, that kind of thing is what makes great in the world. And hear me clearly, there's nothing wrong with that. I thank God we live in a place where that is still uh, achievable for us. And we're kind of built that way in a way. 
Uh, so, so there's nothing wrong with, with that. But that's not the way it works in God's economy, in, in, in God's kingdom. Again, to be great in God's kingdom is humility. It's serving others. It's putting yourself last. It's willing to be, we're bonded to him for life, but it's willing to be loaned out as your slave while I'm serving you in whatever capacity you need. Does it get me dirty? Does, does it get me dusty? That's fine. I'm willing to do that. That's what, again, what makes great in God's kingdom. And it's not easy. It's not easy. He wants us to remember that. It's not easy to, to, to serve others. But, but I promise you, if you ask the church at large, do you want to be a servant? Do you want to serve God? Everybody, everybody says, yeah. Oh yeah, I want to serve God. I want to be a servant. Be a servant today. I'm going to go serve God today. So I, want, I got hit in the face with this as I'm studying this message. So I'm going to hit you in the face with this as well. There's a truth for us today. And it's this, we'll put this on the screen. Everybody wants to be a servant until they're treated like one. Everybody. I want to serve God. And then somebody does something or says something that's not what you think it should be. And well, I'm not doing that anymore. It's like everybody wants to be a servant until they're treated like one. Again, John and James, Jesus tells them, can you drink of this cup? You know this isn't going to be easy. Uh, yeah, we, we can. And so we have to realize this is, this is something as we begin to be, become true servants of, of the king, we have to realize we serve a savior in a world that doesn't know him. We, we serve a, a king, a messiah, a redeemer, a rescuer in, in a world that, that doesn't see him as that. It's not going to be easy. And if you've ever tried to be light in a dark place, you know what I'm talking about. It, it can sometimes be a little rough. I want to give an example of that. Um, about 10 years ago, in fact, I think it was 2012. I think it was exactly 10 years ago. Um, I'm driving to church. It's a Sunday morning. Tracy and I lived way, way east at the time. I'm going down A1A. I'm about to turn on to Hollandale Beach Boulevard. You guys know where that is? You, you with me? You're in the car. Here we go. We're turning. But there's a 7-Eleven right there which was always too busy to get into uh, weekday. But, but man, Sunday morning, I, I, I have it all to myself just about. So, so I, I'm pulling in. And by the way, I have a thing for 7-Elevens, all right? Church and 7-Eleven are my two, other than home, that's my two favorite places. So, uh, so I'm going in. I know exactly what I'm going to get. One of those, if you know, you know, one of those blueberry old-fashioned cake donuts and a water to balance it out, right? So, so that's what I'm going to get. I already know it. I'm pulling in, and I get out, and, I, and I'm walking up, and, and there's a gentleman in a wheelchair sitting right there beside the door. And he looked homeless to me. He was disheveled. His clothes didn't fit. There was a bag sitting next to him. And so anyway, I, I walk in. I say, hey, good morning. He didn't really speak back, but, but I know he saw me, and he heard me. I go in, and I feel it's of the Lord, I, I, I didn't make this up. I'm feeling that God's telling me, whatever you get yourself, get him. Whatever you're getting yourself, get him one of those as well. So I'm getting a water and a blueberry donut, old-fashioned cake, blueberry donut. And I'm, I'm really excited. I'm thinking, he's going to love this. I mean, it's like 7.30 on a Sunday morning. He's going to love this. So I've got two sacks. I'm walking out. And, 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 and I hand him his, and I said, hey, man, God bless you. I just got you what I got me. And uh, he doesn't say anything. He, he just opens the sack and looks in it like, like he's not sure if he wants it. I said, okay. 
you're going to love it when he looks in there. So, but, he, but he pulls the water out. And he, he, it's a, two or three awkward seconds. I mean, this is awkward. Two or three seconds, he's looking at it. He goes, I don't drink water. I drink beer. So, yeah. So, so you know, me, I'm thinking right away, I'm thinking, man, it's summer. It's going to be hot. That beer's going to dehydrate you. And uh, the water's going to be good for you. We're not on the same page. And I used to have, I used to, and by the way, I used to have a problem with alcohol. So I know, I know what that is like. So again, awkward. It's, this isn't working out like I thought it would. And, and so I, uh, I, I, I take the water and I said, well, uh, you know, the donut's going to be awesome. Keep the donut. God bless. Have a good day, man. So I, so I leave. And, and as I'm, I'm driving to church, again, I'm thinking, uh, I don't know what I expected, what kind of ending I expected, but, but, but I expected something other than that. I, I don't know if it was Hallmark movie, you know, you want something to happen. What must I do to be saved? And I take him to church and, you know, he gives his life to the Lord and all that. But, but, but here's the thing, again, we're not always going to get something back in serving the Lord in dusty, dirty streets. I have to, I have to remember this, that those that we serve many times are gonna be broken, they're gonna be hurting, they're gonna be spiritually blind, they, 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 could be, they could be lost, they could be confused, they could be cynical. Jesus came for the sick. If, if I'm his bondservant and he's loaning me out, that's who he's going to loan me out to at least half the time. I'm going to serve people that I'm not going to get anything back from. And we have to be okay with that. And, and here's, here's how I like to put it in perspective in a way. Uh, it, it helps. This is kind of like the attitude of serving. It helps me to put it in perspective. I can't save the world. I can't save anybody. I can't even save myself but I can honor and serve the one who did. I, I, can, I can go into the streets, I can, be, I, I can get dirty, I can get dusty, I can be loaned out as his bondservant. I, I can do that. I can't save anybody, but I can certainly honor and serve the one who did. And so that's more the attitude of, of serving. You may not get anything good back. Sometimes you will, please hear that. Sometimes you will, but a lot of times you won't. And so I wanna, I wanna shift gears. I wanna talk about some things that will kill serving within you. Some things that can derail it, some things that can even kill that servant spirit at least for a while uh, within you. And so I've got four of these. I've lived out the first three. Uh, the fourth one we'll talk about, it, it, I haven't personally lived this one out, but, but, but the first one I have, let's look at it. The first one, the first reason that sometimes you will stop serving is out of church hurt. Church hurt. Uh, and and I, I just want to show of hands, anybody been hurt by a church in your life? That's a lot of folks. Um, yeah, church hurt is very, very real. Uh, you could have your feelings hurt. Um, you, it could be as simple as uh, they hardly ever speak to me. Everybody else on, in, in the church, man, they remember their birthday. They, I didn't get, no one remembered mine. It can be I was in the hospital and I didn't get a visit. I didn't get a call. I don't know if they even knew, but, but, but I, no one reached out. It can be those kinds of things. It can, it can be to all the way up a level where you felt like you were lied to or you felt like you were manipulated. 
or you felt like um, um, maybe the ministry machine rolled over you. You know, it could be spiritual abuse. Uh, those kinds of things, those kinds of things happen. And listen, <clears throat> they could happen here. They could happen here uh, because we are all just flawed people. We are trying to do the best that we can. If you've been church hurt here, we, we, we're extremely uh, sorry. You can come and talk to me about that anytime. We want to help and uh, to try to make that right. But we could all be church hurt. I've been church hurt um, deeply. And so I want to say this in love. I want you to receive it in love. If you've been church hurt, you have to get in line because, <laughs> again, that's just about everybody. If you've invested in a church, if you said, this is where we're going to be, this is where we're serving, I'm investing in it, and you serve for years, there's going to be a time when you get your feelings hurt or there's going to be a time when something happens and, and, and you're, you're, you're going to be hurt. So how do, we do, how do we deal with that? How do we not let that kill the spirit within us to serve? Well, think about, think about it this way. Neither you who've been church hurt, no me who've been church hurt. We, we haven't been nearly as church hurt as Jesus. None of us have. Uh, I've given him in 60 years of life, I've given him a thousand reasons to walk away from me. And he never has. The church over 2000 years has given him tens of thousands of reasons to walk away. The dark ages were brutal in the church. We've given him lots of reasons. He's still here. He still bled and died for the church, the universal ecclesia, the believers around the world. He died for us and he's coming back for us. He has not walked away from us. And so if you've been church hurt, remember that. <clears throat> You're gonna have to feel the feels. It's gonna sting. It's gonna hurt. Look at Matthew 18. Try to work that out. Go through that process of restoration if it's possible with whoever offended you in church. Work towards forgiveness. You may even need to sit out a while. That's, that's not totally unhealthy. You may need to sit out a while, but listen very, very closely. Your call to serve didn't end with your church hurt. It didn't. That call to be a diakonos in a fallen world, to be a, uh, his, his bond servant that he's gonna loan out to the broken, to the hurting, to the confused, to the lost, to the cynical, he needs us. And so our calling didn't end with our church hurt. At some point, you need to get up and you need to be prayerful and you need to get back to serving again. It'll be the best thing for you. Look at 2 Corinthians 13. Here's Paul talks about it. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. The church at Corinth was, was a lot of church hurt going on. There was drunkenness. There was sexual sin. Uh, there was pride, there was arrogance. My, my, my tongues are better than your tongues. Well, my gift's better than your gifts. Well, Paul kind of, 1 Corinthians 13 says, none of it's any good if it's not done in love. But, but, he, but he closes 2 Corinthians like this, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, be agreeable, agree with one another, live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. So church hurt. Here's the second one. This one's more simple. And this one, I've done this as well just serving for the wrong reasons. That could have been me at 7-Eleven that morning. You know, I think serving would be good for me. It'll get me out of the house. I'll meet new people. Serving, I think serving others will serve me. You know, that's not an evil or, or necessarily bad, and portions of that can be true, but if that is your reason to serve, you've quit already. Again, your, 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 your attitude is this. I can't save anybody. I can't even save me. 
but I can, I can worship and honor and I can serve the one who did. And so that's one as well. Sometimes we just simply serve for the wrong reasons. Here's the third one, pride. Pride. This means that I might just be serving to make an impression. Okay, all the, all the dusty hard work, the diakonos is really going on over here, but I'm not, I don't know that I wanna, I think I wanna participate over here, and, but I'm gonna get a pic of all this and with me in it, and, and if you would, just like and comment below, please. Uh, I'm, I'm serving to be seen to serve. Uh, I, I'm, I'm serving not to get dirty or dusty. In fact, prideful servants aren't the hardest workers out there. That's, that's sort of how you'll know who they are. And again, I've served out of pride before. I've done that. And I don't want you to, to get this confused. It's not every time you put something up, oh, that's pride. It's, it's not. I like to keep people apprised of what we're doing as a church and, and, and when we serve. I like to do all that as well. <clears throat> but I know I have to check my heart. because and, and pride dies a slow death. It likes to be fed. And it's easy, it's easy to feed pride in a world like ours because people react to it. And they respond to it. They give you those thumbs up, man. Oh, great. Way to go, pastor. Oh, you're such a servant. You know, those, kind of, those kinds of things. So I can serve out of pride. You can serve out of pride. It's a wrong reason to serve and it will kill the, the true servant in you. Look at Philippians chapter two, verse three. Paul addresses it. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Those two things are in the family of pride. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Okay, here's the fourth one. I haven't done this one, um, but that's simply because I came to Christ uh, before I even knew really what serving was. But, but you, can, you can serve to earn your salvation. You can, you can have that in your mind. That can be your reason. I'm, 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 of course, isn't everybody? I'm, I'm, I'm serving God to try to earn my way to heaven. And, and if you're new to the faith or you're visiting church and you're not sure exactly what all this is for, that makes sense. If God is good, I have to be good and earn my way to him. And we get this idea that at some point I'm gonna stand before the gates and, and there's gonna be scales. And, and if the good outweighs the bad, they're gonna open and I'm gonna get to go through. But again, uh, that's not the way it works. Thank you, God. That's not the way uh, it works. Listen, Christianity, this, this, this Christian faith and this life is, underline it, is performance-based, but it's not your performance. It's Christ. He's already done it. The perfect God-man, the Son of God, puts on, he leaves heaven, he puts on an earth suit and he, he, he comes and goes through these period of trials and testing and persecution and the cross and, and, and he, he's, he's spit on and he wears a crown of thorns and he goes into a, a borrowed tomb, but he raises from the dead. There's that resurrection power. He ascends to heaven after 40 days. He ascends to heaven and he's still alive today. I can't replicate any of that. And so you don't earn your salvation. Look at uh, look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. So, so, so we don't work for it. We don't do it out of pride. We, we don't get church hurt and, and quit forever. We don't do it for wrong reasons. Again, the attitude of serving is I can't save people. I can't even save myself, but I can honor and serve the one who did. And so I wanna shift gears here. Uh, how do we do it? How can we serve? Where do we even begin to serve? Uh, I wanna put this on the screen. In a fallen world, there is no lack of opportunity to serve broken and hurting people. 
We begin with our family, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, and we expand from there. Get this with me. In a fallen world, God has given us built-in ways to serve him. In a fallen world, there's not going to be any lack of opportunity. There's broken, there's hurting people, uh, but there's built-in people as well. There's built-in ways. We start with our family. We start with our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers. We work out from there. And listen, church is a built-in way to serve God. You can serve him here, and, and that's always uh, open for you to do that. You can serve in Kid Street. You can serve local youth. You can greet people. You can seat people. At some point, hopefully soon, you can park people. We need a parking team, and we'll get that back up and running. But there's all, always places to serve here at church. But I want to give you uh, another built-in way. That's family. And I want to give you a little warning. Please do not serve at church. Uh, please do not serve at church and not serve at home. Don't, don't miss that. Yeah, I serve at church, but I put my feet up and I'm kind of, uh, I kind of do my own thing at home. Don't do that, especially dads. You will drive your children away from God and away from church. So be a servant in your home first. If you're married, that's where you begin. And Father's Day is coming up. We know that next Sunday. So I want to give this to the, to the dads out there. You have a built-in way. Ephesians 5.25, look at this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. If I probably said it from the stage before. If you've sat with me in premarital, you've sat with me in marriage counseling, men, you've heard me say this. You do not have to be a pastor, a church planner, an evangelist, whatever, to serve God. In fact, you serve him in a much more pristine, pure way when you serve your wife. We've been given a built-in way. That's where you begin. And so we begin with family, we begin with friends, we begin with coworkers, neighbors, we work out from there. That includes our church. And so where do we begin? We begin there. How do we do it? We do it with that attitude. I, I, I can't save anyone. I can't save myself, but I can love, honor, and serve the one who did. I wanna end today I wanna end with this. We're gonna put a couple of, uh, of, of sayings up here. I want you to say it with me. Let's say this together, church. Let's say this first one. I am a servant and I will not quit when I'm treated like one. Keep that in your mind, take that home with you. And then second one, I serve Jesus Christ for his own glory and not my own, amen. Thank you for listening to the Local Church Podcast. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you learned today. You can connect with us at thelocalchurch.com or by searching The Local Church on your favorite social media platforms. We hope you join us next week for a brand new episode. And remember, you matter to God and you matter to us.